2: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He is a Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Mike, we got a special guest tonight. First question, who is it?
0: It's our resident Miami guy, Cam Underwood, State of the U,
2: SB Nation. Cam, my buddy,
0: welcome back.
1: Thank you. I am a Miami grad and a Miami fan. I'm over here going crazy in the Skype video because I didn't know that (laughs) these guys had additional fandoms. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? But, no, I went to Miami. I graduated from Miami. I root for Miami. I write about Miami. So I'm here to talk about Miami.
2: That's right. We are joined by the sweet, sultry tones of Cam Underwood tonight. You've heard him before. You know all about him. He is a a passionate uh, Miami supporter and alumnus and resident and all those cool things. So, um, Cam, we appreciate you joining us tonight. We want to preview the, of course, your Miami Hurricanes. We we wouldn't really ask you to come on and preview, like, Florida State or anything like that. So, um, I'm sure you could if you wanted to. But, in in any case, we're going to just kind of start running down. So, the... The big thing about Miami going into 2017 right now, is, as I see it, and I think as Mike would agree, is that Miami is looked at as the favorite to win the Coastal, right? Um, I, I think the the media poll picked Miami pretty pretty clearly over Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, and the rest of the division. So what I want you to do is I want you to give me a reason that Miami won't win the Coastal division this year.
1: That's a good question. And yeah, before I get there, Miami was the prohibitive pick at ACC kickoff to win the Coastal division which, you know, would be a first in the history of the ACC, and we know all of those things. So, you know, uh, getting to your question, you know, if hypothetically, because I do believe that Miami's going to win. Like, let me put that on record first so that nobody comes at me, none of my Miami brothers and sisters. So I'm like, hey, Cam, no, no, like I believe Miami's going to win, but I'll play along. So if I were to give you a reason, I'm actually <clears throat> thinking that, first of all, the reason would be inconsistent quarterback play. Um, As you well know, Brad Kaya, after his record-setting three-year career, decided to go on to the NFL level where he was selected late in the sixth round by my Detroit Lions. And I say my Detroit Lions because I'm originally from Detroit, so that clears up any uh, misconception that might be there. So, obviously, after a record-setting three-year career, you had to replace that guy. Um, And it could come to pass where uh, Miami does not have the consistency of a Brad Kaya at the quarterback position with – um, you know, nobody who's really played any significant snaps. You have Malik Rogier who started one game that Duke win in 2015, you know, with the kickoff return, um, that one at the end. Uh, so he played that. Evan Sheriffs is a redshirt junior who's never taken a snap at the collegiate level. And then you got, you know, walk-on is, and freshman. Now, I think that one of the freshmen um, has a lot of potential, and we'll get into him later. But, you know, being that he's a freshman, a true freshman, as in he was in high school this time last year... Um, Maybe he's not ready for prime time. Maybe that, you know, one of them gets hurt and they rotate a little bit and they try to figure out between two or three of them, you know, which one is the guy. And the success and consistency at quarterback isn't there to the level where Miami needs it. So then defenses are selling out against the run, stopping Mark Walton, giving the Offensive line troubles, you know, playing press coverage across the field. Maybe the receivers aren't getting open to help out the quarterback and things of that nature. And, you know, when you have some games against some tough defenses, if, the quarter, if there's one thing that starts to fall apart in a really, really, really noticeable way, then that can really impact things. Think about Maryland a few years ago when they had injuries to all their scholarship quarterbacks and literally took a starting linebacker and put him at quarterback because he played quarterback in high school four years prior something like that i'm not saying that i expect it to happen i'm not saying that i hope that it ha- it comes to pass but if the quarterback play is really really substandard that could be an easy way where miami doesn't win the coastal
0: so to piggyback off of that cam we look at nine and four miami team last year obviously really strong into the season uh they played really well the back half of their back half of their schedule um so why is that 9-4 and four Miami team returning essentially the same roster as they did last year minus a few pieces in the secondary and obviously minus Brad Kai at the quarterback position? Why are they the runaway preseason coastal champions with essentially the same team minus
1: pieces? Well, I think it's about the pieces that are returning, uh, especially if you're looking in the front seven. We have one of the top three, maybe five defensive lines in America. You back that up with three outstanding sophomore linebackers. Uh, some questions, um, In the secondary but there's talent there we're gonna get to that a little bit later so on the defensive side really strong front seven arguably the best front seven when you take line and linebackers together in America um, with the combination of depth and talent then you put talent but unproven maybe in the secondary and I'll take talent any day because you can coach them up and get them to play well you have the best running back in the ACC going into the season to Mark Walton. You have the best wide receiver in the ACC, best freshman wide receiver in America last year, Amon Richards coming back as a sophomore. You have the best tight end in the ACC, Christopher Herndon the fourth, whose name people don't know because David Njoku was the other tight end. And I'm not even going to say he started in front of Herndon because Herndon also started, I think nine or ten games last year when we went to that um, two tight end set because you could put Njoku literally as a slot receiver. You could put him outside, you could move him all over the place, and he was a first-round draft pick. So many people are saying, wait, how is this guy whose name I don't know the best tight end in the class or in the conference? If you look back and you watch the tape and you talk to people who follow football very closely, Christopher Herndon, I know that Cam Cerigni or whatever his name is from Wake Forest is up there also as well. I think he was the first round all ACC preseason pick, but I would take, put my money on Herndon You know, just any day of the week. So you have three of the best skill position players you have additional pieces at wide receiver freshman, Evidence Njoku that's David Njoku's younger brother who's about 6'6 or 6'7 now and made a ridiculously high leaping catch today in practice on the first day of practice. Uh, You have Jeff Thomas from East St. Louis, Illinois if you watched the Under Armour All-American game he was that guy who was just scoring from anywhere on the field anytime he touched the ball, he had that guy you got Mike Harley from St. Thomas Aquinas who's uh, a record setting sprinter and one of the fastest recruits along with Jeff Thomas in the last recruiting class you have Lawrence Cager coming back at a wide receiver who had a knee injury you have Dayal Harris who was a Juco All-American two years ago who only had eight catches last year but he had uh, several more catches called back because of penalty all of that put together with talent at quarterback as well that might be unproven with developing talent and you have I think five or six guys along the offensive line who have starting experience then you add in some freshmen with talent as well all of that, and, and one of the most consistent kickers in America, in Michael Badgley, and Jeff Fiegels' son, Zach Feagles is probably going to win the punting job. Jeff Feagles, who punted in the NFL for a solid quarter century, um, you know, across the board. So that's all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams. You have talent there. You have a program that's been set. You have great coaching, uh, complete buy-in, and you got that kind of taste of winning, um, that Miami had been missing for a few years so you know the the season had three very distinct parts you had the four wins to begin the year then the four losses in the middle and then the five wins to finish it so you know I think that yeah there was that terrible terrible month of October last year where they went one and four excuse me um but, yeah, I think that the end of the year really showed this team and this program how to work and if you work the way that we're trying to work, that success is going to come. So when you have that connection of talent and discipline and coaching and enthusiasm because, like, I'm tired of losing personally, me, Cam Underwood. Like, I didn't play at my I played flag football and got a concussion one time. I told that story on Twitter the other day. Um but no, I mean, I know that these guys are tired of losing. We're tired of that stigma of, of you know, the stench from the Randy Shannon, Al Gold, and the end of Larry Coker's time here. We want to win, and we got a taste of that. I know it was only the bowl game against an overmatched West Virginia team who talked all that crap and then got blown out, because, and it could have been worse, but we sat on the ball towards the end of the fourth quarter. But, you know, you, you bring all those things together, and I think that is the thing along with the other part of things uh, that lends itself to Miami being the Coastal Division champs, which is honestly a fairly light schedule. You know, you miss Clemson, you miss Louisville from the you know, Atlantic. So we got, you know, I don't even know who the two teams Oh Well, you got Florida State from the Atlantic Division, obviously. And then the other team that we have crossover is, and I'm looking, Syracuse. Right. That's nobody's version of a world beater. So you have that. You have a Notre Dame out of conference, but that obviously doesn't count. So yeah, you're you're talking Florida State and Syracuse from the Atlantic, and then every team in the Coastal is, or there's no other team in the Coastal that has the kind of talent that Miami does. So if you're just looking at talent... Miami should be favored. They should win those things. So if you put that together, all those things that I've said, the coaching, the depth, the enthusiasm of the team, the talent on this team, and an advantageous schedule, all those things together tell me or show me, lead me to that decision on thought that Miami should win the Coastal this year.
2: So, Cam, you talk about all these weapons on the team, and it sounds like a pretty impressive lineup, but so if, if we had to compare this year's Miami team against last year's Coastal division, would they still be favored? Like, is this a thing where Miami is really just that good, even in comparison to last year, and therefore they're, they're just that good that they're the best team in the Coastal? Or are we talking about Miami being the best of a Coastal division that is a little bit down this year?
1: A little bit of both, I think. Um, you know, obviously the big thing is the, the quarterback situation for Miami. But, um, you know, there is still talent all over this roster, even with losing guys like a David Njoku, like uh, Stacey Coley. Uh, from wide receiver like um, the defensive backs Corn Elder who was just everything for this team last year because we leaned on him because we had to uh, Jamal Carter and Rayshawn Jenkins you know so if and this is a really good question that you, you threw to me right before we started recruit or recording but you know I think that this year's Miami team as currently constructed obviously with one day of practice under our belts hmm you know I think that we hmm, it's it's crazy because there's such top end talent that was lost off of Miami's roster from last year. But then there's like numbers as well, because you have additional attrition uh, of some other players in depth. But I think that this year's Miami team would be probably toe to toe with North Carolina or Virginia tech from last year. Um, yeah, definitely not a prohibitive favorite over either one of those teams, but I think right on right on par. And it would kind of just come down to, to gameplay on the day. You know, Miami lost by seven to North Carolina, um, and I am here to tell you again that there was a touchdown in the back of the end zone by Ryan Switzer that was not a touchdown, or Ricky Prol, one of those two guys, that... Was not a touchdown. If you look at the tape, and you know people were screaming at me at me when I was you know at the game in the press box, and I didn't have that view, and I saw the replay when somebody put it down on Twitter, and oh my goodness! But you know that's a tight game against North Carolina. We played the worst game of the year at Virginia Tech, and they just stomped on our necks. Um, so hopefully, you know if this year's team was in that thing, shut up, Mike. Um, in that same situation, it wouldn't come to pass uh, in that same kind of a way. But, yeah, I think that, uh, between those three teams, the, this year's Miami team and last year's Carolina or Virginia Tech, that would really be a toss-up between those, um, those teams. And, yeah, so, I mean, in, in the conversation, um, but I went to Miami, so I'm going to say that, you know, I would err on the side of Miami winning it. But, you know, haven't seen that happen in a while, so maybe history tells me otherwise.
2: For the record... Miami was voted second in the preseason poll in the ACC last year. 50 first-place votes, second to North Carolina. So don't ever forget the name value of favoring – when favoring Miami in the coastal division. Um, So, Cam, real simple question. You've already referenced this a couple times. Who's starting quarterback for this team?
1: Nobody knows. Um, (laughs) And, I mean, that's the the short answer. Fair enough, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, no problem. You know, just like we'll just go out uh, and just play Wildcat all day long or something, but – no, uh, to, to be serious, there are three competitors, really, for that job. Um, Malik Rogier, like I said, Richard junior. Um, he started that Duke game uh, in 2015. He came in for Brad Kaya in the Clemson debacle game after Kaya sustained a concussion um, and played in six games last year. But, I mean, that was really just turning around and handing the ball off. I think he only threw, like, eight passes, six passes or something last season. Uh, but he's, you know, a fourth-year guy uh, in the program. So he was a co-number one coming out of spring with Evan Sheriffs from Jefferson, Georgia, who's a redshirt sophomore, who uh, Sheriffs is a very intellectual guy. He was his high school's valedictorian and turned down offers from you know Columbia and Yale and places like that to continue his athletic pursuits at the University of Miami which is far and away the better athletic option and I think that he has like a 4.0 GPA and is on track to graduate in three years this year I want to say or something like that um you know which is not a bad thing so uh those two guys were tied at the top of the competition coming out of spring and then Nikosi Perry was a four-star recruit from Ocala Vanguard High School. Um, he was 2016 uh, Mr. Football in Florida's 6A co- um, classification last year. His numbers slid back, so he didn't win it again. But that was just because his high school was blowing teams out to the tune of 49-3 to 3 on average at halftime. So second halves were running clock, and they really didn't play him much after after the halftime break. And even still, he set all of Vanguard's records for quarterbacks and if you're wondering like why does that matter uh a little player named Dante Culpepper once went to Ocala Vanguard and had the records that stood for 20 years until Nikosi Perry so the kid's kind of good and Mark Rick uh picked him as his number one quarterback in this class. There's Cade Weldon also, who's Casey Weldon's son, and Casey Weldon was coached by Mark Rick at Florida State back in the 90s. Uh, but I don't think that he's really going to factor into this uh, conversation. And then Vincent Testaverde, Vinny Testaverdi's son, is a walk-on. Um, and they unretired Vinny's number 14, so Vincent can wear it. But he, if it comes to pass that Vincent Testaverde is playing snaps, then something went really, really wrong. Um <clears throat> And, I I mean, I don't mean to, like, make fun of the kid, but just, like, honestly, he doesn't have the talent to really be a Miami-level quarterback. So, you really have Rogier, who's a redshirt junior, Sheriffs, who's a redshirt sophomore, and Perry, who's a true freshman. And those are going to be the three guys who we're really looking at in the quarterback battle. Obviously, with experience and, you know, even in practice, you have Sheriffs and Rogier in front, and then Perry is pretty much everybody's darling. Um, he's 6'4", he's up to 185 pounds, they say, when he was like 165, 170 in high school. Um, so like a rail-thin, but you know, he's athletically built, he has a rocket arm. Uh, my recruit notebook that I did for every single incoming recruit this year, I compared him to Marcus Mariota, and there's a video of that up on the website. So if you look up State of the U, um, Nicosi Perry, and apostrophe, K-O-S-I. Perry, you know, regular, uh, you'll see that. So he has a world of talent. I'm not saying, well, you know, Mariota, who was a redshirt freshman when he came in. So if Perry were to start this year, he would be, you know, even quicker on the uptake uh, than Mariota was. But he has all the talent in the world. I think that before the end of the season, it's going to be Nikosi Perry. Um, Early, it might not be. It might be, you know, look at uh, Sheriffs or Rozier uh, just to start and, you know, I wrote a piece about this on the site, you know, uh, a couple of days ago called the Perry plans, where I looked at three different plans for integration for Nikosi Perry. Because, again, I'm operating on the foundation that this is going to be Nikosi Perry's team um, and fully understanding that that might not happen because there are two other quarterbacks that could win the job. But let's say Nikosi Perry does win the job. I gave you three options. I said, one, you start him from game one, just like it's Brad Kaya. And then I talked about all that, you know, running game defense, you know, how to pass the ball, all those kind of things. So that's plan number one. Plan number two is the Deshaun Watson plan, which is you rotate him, Perry in for a couple series each game. And then by the third game on the road at Florida State, which was the same schedule when Deshaun Watson was a freshman. Their third game was on the road at Florida State. Halfway through that game, you give the freshman the keys and you let him go with it. And then he goes from there. The third plan I gave was rotate Perry for about the first month. And I got this wrong because there's five games before the bye. But through the first five games, rotate Perry, do that whole rotation thing. And then in the bye week, you give him the keys. And then week seven, that sixth game of the year against Georgia Tech on that Thursday night, that's when you unveil him as a starter. So there's a couple different ways it can go. Um, Coming out of camp, I mean, we're only one day in, so I really don't know. But, you know, the... So the short term I'm not really sure about, but the long term I'm fairly confident or hopeful at least that this is going to be a Nicosi-Perry Nicosi, quarterback team before the end of the month of October, probably at the latest.
0: So the quarterbacks, kind of a question mark at this point, but how much does the style of the offense change depending on what quarterback is in there?
1: Yeah, that's, that's, it's going to change from what we saw last year because all three of them are more mobile than Brad Kyle, who was notoriously a statue um when he ran for a first down both times last year and i'm fairly certain it really only happened twice everybody went crazy you know you're breaking out the mike vick gifts and saying oh my goodness he's gonna run for a thousand i mean like a three-yard gain from brad kaya was like cause for celebration so you know you're gonna have more of a running moving ability from any quarterback rogier and perry are more athletic than is sheriffs uh but sheriffs can still move around so you can even have more kind of roll out half roll bootleg kind of things so you're going to have a little bit more of that i think the thing that's really going to come alive in the offense is going to be the rpo series you know your run pass option things and i know that rpo is not a dictated quarterback run but the quarterback keeping the ball in the rpo has to be a valid option Which it was not with Brad Kaya. So when you have the threat of the quarterback pulling the ball and keeping it going whichever way, inside, outside, you know, what but when the quarterback can keep the ball then that defensive end that you're reading, who who you have unblocked, or that linebacker on a scrape exchange, whoever it is, they have to honor that. They cannot just crash down to the run game like they did last year. And when the RPO series really comes alive, I think you can see a lot more creativity based upon that. So I think that's really where you're going to see things kind of change. Also, I think Miami's going to go more three and four wide as opposed to two tight ends because we don't have David Njoku, who you could literally put anywhere on the field. So, you know, to replace that, you're going to have Chris Herndon as an inline tight end. He's also played H-back. He's also played fullback because you had that multiplicity with him and David Njoku where Njoku could be pretty much anywhere else. So you can have, you know, a running back. You can have Herndon. And then, you know, we got these freshman wide receivers who can fly. You know, DJ Dallas was an early enrollee, a high school quarterback slash player who played all over the field Who's going to stick at wide receiver. So I think you're going to see more three and four wide sets with only one actual tight end um, as opposed to last year. Um, But no matter what the set, the, the formation is going to be, I think the thing that's going to be unchanged is a reliance on the run game. Because Mark Walton is the best returning running back in the league. And Mark Richt and Thomas Brown, the offensive coordinator slash running backs coach, they want to run the ball. And you're going to have to run the ball because no matter who the quarterback is, this is going to be a guy who's given the keys to an offense really for the first time. Malik Rogier stepped in on a short week two years ago. And, you know, he played really well at Duke. But, you know it's duke duke is not really good and they shouldn't really be competition but you know he he did an admirable job there Evan Sheriff's never taken a snap in college Nikosi Perry he took his first college snaps today in practice so you know i think that from a formational standpoint of giving you a couple things they're going to be different but you know that run game is going to kind of be the same and i think it's going to be even a little bit like you know there was a quarterback when i was in college who played at miami he was a tall thin kid from the san francisco area of california he wore number 11. um i forget what his name was schmen shmen or something like that but that guy when he was uh the quarterback in miami he specialized in getting the ball out of his hands to the playmakers on the team to a santana moss to a reggie wayne to a willis mcgahee to a clinton portis to a james jackson And I think that whoever the quarterback is going to be is going to have to do that. But schematically, yeah, you're going to see a little bit more from the RPO because it's actually going to blossom this year with a quarterback who can move more uh, and some of those things as we move forward.
0: So switching gears real quick defensively, Shaq Quarterman, second on the team last year in tackles at the linebacker position. How good can he be and how good does he have to be with the talent that's lost in the secondary? Uh, You've talked a lot about the front seven and how good they're going to be this year. Um, one of the top groups, especially with the defensive line, Um, maybe one of the top front sevens in the country uh, when you consider the defensive side of the football. But how good can Quarterman be, and how good does he have to be with that secondary?
1: Quarterman can be very good. I mean, he had 84 tackles last year, 10 tackles for loss, and I know those numbers because you guys fed them to me before the show, so I appreciate that. Um, But, yeah, you know, as a starting freshman middle linebacker. uh, So he can be really, really good, and he can – As long as he is who he is and he's a hard worker, he's a service or a knowledgeable guy and very physical. He was a power lifter in high school. He has videos all up on on Twitter of him, you know, just lifting all kinds of ridiculous weight that I could only shudder to to lift or, you know, my back would snap. But, I mean, very physical kid and he can do all those things. The, The gag about it is, as good as Quarterman is, I don't think that he's the best linebacker on this team. And I know it sounds crazy because of what he did. And I think that he's going to be the best middle linebacker. I think he's going to be, you know, probably first, second team, all ACC. But ever since I saw this kid as a high school junior, Zach McLeod, number 53, that kid is the prototype at outside backer. I mean, he's 6'2 a half, six somewhere in there, 6'2", six 6'3", two, six 235 pounds. And, you know, obviously you see the pictures after the weight room in the summer, but he's shredded. And it his development was more exponential than was shacks shacks was started higher than zach mcleod did and it was kind of a steady increase Zach's was kind of a slow increase and then it shot up towards the end of the year i mean he just he played lights out in that bowl game uh if he could have kept his feet uh he had a pbu in the flat but that would have been a pick six i mean he was just all over the place and i think that you know as we go into sophomore, junior, senior year, even if he stays the next two, three years, I think that Zach McLeod is going to really start to be that guy at, the strong side backer or, or, weak side, excuse me. And then you have Mike Pinckney also, uh, who is a very, very good player. and He just flies around and makes plays as well. Uh, made his presence felt a couple few times in that Florida state game. So I think Shaq is very good. I think he's going to continue to be very good. He's going to be the, 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 the rock of Gibraltar, the foundation on the inside of that defense. But I think athletically really when Zach McLeod and Mike Pinckney really tap into their, uh, athletic potential, you're going to see, I think, it's definitely Zach McCloud, but maybe both of those guys pass uh, quarterman in performance just because they're so much more athletic than Shaq is. And, again, this is not me putting down Shaq. I think he's still going to be first, second team, all ACC, but the potential in Zach McLeod. And maybe that's just me being a fanboy. I, I saw him as a high school kid, and I, I've seen his potential for years. But I think Zach McCloud is the prototype first-round draft pick at outside backer coming up probably in a couple of years here. Uh, so, you know, Shaq does what he has been doing and McLeod continues his rapid uh, increase of skill development that we saw towards the second half of last year, watch out.
2: Cam, as we look at the schedule, you mentioned this earlier, um, the, the out-of-conference schedule is relatively forgiving. Home against Bethune-Cookman at Arkansas State, home against Toledo, home against Notre Dame. That's three-in-one worst case. And, I mean... The, the big question really, I mean, is and has been, if Miami loses to Florida State, they play week three on September 16th, and I say if Miami loses, with the caveat that they've lost seven in a row in this series, it seems that that is really kind of the, the thing that starts a, a really bad series of dominoes falling, and Miami has struggled to recover in a timely fashion. As you mentioned, I mean, they lost three straight games after the Florida State loss last year, and just did not look like the same team until they brought it back in November. So my big question to you is: obviously, the Florida State game here is the the key one, but I think that the schedule sets up decently. Of, of there's a bit of a trampoline there in case Miami is to lose this game. I mean, I think this is a pretty forgiving schedule. What are your thoughts on this schedule, and what is your record prediction
1: for Miami in 2017? My thoughts on the schedule are: you know that it's it's very forgiving, like you're talking about. You know, it's uh it sets up really well for Miami to break through and have a successful season um and you know uh you know miami has not won double digits since 2003 obviously have ha- uh had our hearts broken against that team from tallahassee in the last seven years in a row but um yeah i mean honestly this this is not This is not a really difficult schedule. You know, if you if the NCAA video game were still around, you know, R.I.P.E.A. sports NCAA, uh, you know, football. But if that were still around, this would be a what a B minus C plus schedule strength. I mean, it's not terribly difficult. So, you know, um, it's pretty much broken in half. You have five games in a row off the top, and then a bye, and then you have seven games after that. So, uh, you know, one away from half-and-half half split there. Um, yeah, you know, I think going into this season, and I've seen ESPN metrics and a couple other ones, is going to be favored or is favored as of today in 11 of 12 games, which is every game except for Week 3 at Florida State. Um, you know, I, I think that that's fair. I, I mean, I don't see anybody on paper who... Miami really should lose to. And, I mean, against Florida State throughout the records because, you know, last year they got blown out a couple times and then, you know, they played one of their best games of the year against us and we did the same against them and we've done that for years but obviously it've come up on the short end of the stick. But, you know, that's, that's a rivalry game and no matter what the stakes are or what the results were prior on either side of the ledger, that's going to be the game of the year where ev- they just everybody plays harder. And, you know, some of the guys that I've interacted with on Twitter, we've joked about that for years, you know, like, oh, OK, it's Miami, Florida State week. Those Florida State guys are going to try this week. And they just do like you just it, you, you play harder. It means more, you know, not to steal the SEC's model. But, you know, it just does. So, you know, if we're going down, I think the pitfall games. Uh, I mean, i don't really I mean, obviously, Florida State, that's the one we've already circled September the 16th. Um, Notre Dame on November the 11th, Veterans Day. Yeah, we're going to circle that one as well because we were one of the teams that found a way to lose to that terrible, terrible, terrible Notre Dame team last year. The week before that is Virginia Tech, who won the Coastal last year, uh, you know, and they have a good defense and they travel well. The last game of the year at Pittsburgh, I've seen a lot of people actually pick us to lose that game. I don't know why. Um, just because I don't think that they're going to really be diverse on offense since they lost their offensive coordinator. And I just don't think that, you know, and I was a basketball player growing up. And, you know, this is the Basketball Conference podcast. So using basketball verbiage, they can't stick us. Like, just put me in ISO, one-on-one, give me the ball, get out the way, and I'm going to go get buckets because I just don't think they can guard us. And that's what I said last year. And then, you know, they, you know Brad Kai got hot and he went to work. So, you know, those are the couple games that I'm really looking at. Um, I don't think that anybody's going to be a trap game. I don't think that we're – cocky to the point now where we're overlooking anybody that includes on the road at arkansas state the second group of five school that we're going to in a row because we went to app state last year and blew them out we're going to go to arkansas state this year blow them out slash win like whatever uh you know i'm not overlooking anybody i don't think this team is overlooking anybody and i think that they learned from last year because even after the florida state game i'm sure that they thought oh hey we're gonna win this next game oh hey we're gonna win this next one oh hey we're gonna win this next one and that didn't happen so you know we're, we're taking everybody seriously including toledo who's week four the week after florida state um if i'm pointing to games that we could potentially lose honestly the florida state game because a toss-up i hope to the good lord that we win so i don't have to hear their mouths again um obviously and You know, maybe that uh, one of those two Virginia Tech Notre Dame games uh, that happened back to back. I don't think they're going to lose both of those, but I think one of those uh, could be just, and maybe in a body blow kind of a way, because you got Georgia Tech on a Thursday, then Syracuse the next week at Carolina, then Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. So that's a I mean, not super tough, but that's an interesting little five-game run, and you got teams uh, as diametrically opposed as Georgia Tech and Syracuse back-to-back. So that, that'll be interesting for the team. Uh, if we're getting to predictions on uh, win-loss record, I'm going to say 10-2 and for the regular season and the Coastal Division Championship. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope for better, but, you know, having not won 10 games in more than a decade, I think I'm good with that as my prediction. Uh, you know, and I hope that the team proves me wrong or we get up to that, you know, 11-win kind of a thing, uh, including a win over Florida State. But for right now, I'm going to stick with 10-2, and two, uh, you know, going to the ACC championship game and then a major bowl game. Uh, both of those things uh, have eluded us for either forever in the sense of the ACC championship game or quite a while in a major bowl game but yeah I really foresee us having both of those you know and being able to lean on a couple of those different parts of the schedule and of the team to make it happen
0: on my end uh just looking at the schedule there are only four games on this entire schedule that matter I think the rest of them you can throw out and count as wins four games that matter to me Florida State Georgia Tech Virginia Tech and Notre Dame you get three out of those four games at home so this schedule for Miami, I agree with you, um, is, is relatively mediocre outside of those four games. And part of that is has nothing to do with Miami. It's the fact that Duke is a relatively unknown commodity outside of Daniel Jones. I mean, defense, I, what do they got on defense? We're not really sure. Offensively, outside Daniel Jones, you look at the offensive line, especially the running game last year, struggled because of all the injuries they had in their backfield. What will Duke have? We don't really know. They'll be well coached, but outside of that, what do we know about them? Georgia Tech, bunch of returning talent, but athletically, do they match up with Miami? I'm not sure that they do, but they're well coached as well. So that that's another game that you look at. You could say ah, I could see Georgia Tech hanging, but athletically, uh, Miami's got the talent on the field. Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, those are two teams that athletically can match up with Miami on a smaller scale compared to Florida State, but they got the talent to hang around cam to your point so it's a four game schedule for me if i'm if i'm miami and that's not to overlook anybody like arkansas state like you alluded to or toledo who's going to try to score a million points because they like to throw the ball over the field Mm -hmm. you're not overlooking anybody but at the same time miami's got the talent to outclass all those teams and it comes down to a four game schedule i can see anywhere between nine and three and 11 and one I'm going to throw one loss in there for sure out of those four games just because I think that you know the uncertainty of quarterbacks enough for me to just play a guessing game and then I think at worst this is a nine and three Miami team and I I really do think that November 4th game between Virginia Tech and Miami ultimately decides the coastal division I really do
1: yeah I mean that makes sense I mean I
2: Mike, I wouldn't even I'll just start, you know, talking about Georgia Tech and Miami like that's a Thursday night game. I, Paul Johnson has never won in Coral Gables. I don't think Georgia Tech wins that game. To me, I look at this, I think I think I'm going to pick based on history. I'm going to pick Miami to lose to Florida State. The immediate rebound there is home against Toledo and at Duke, and I don't see even a downtrodden, distracted Miami team losing those games. So I'm going to take a loss to Florida State. And I'm going to call it a coin toss. Home games against Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. I think they lose one of those. I've got Miami at ten and two. I've got them winning the Coastal, uh, going to Charlotte. We're doing it in Charlotte this year, right?
1: Yeah, yeah we're back in North Carolina. Uh, we are everything. So yeah. we're back.
2: Okay. All right. Good. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ten and two. Um, but like Mike said, I mean, I could see, I could see anywhere between like eight and four and twelve and zero. Honestly, like if they beat Florida State, the sky's the limit. I think. I mean, you've got Virginia Tech and Notre Dame at home. Again, you got Georgia Tech at home. I don't see them losing that. Um, I could see a 12-0 and schedule. I could also see, again, you know, the wheels kind of come off. You lose to Florida State, lose to Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, and find another way to lose one in there somewhere. Um, so, But I think the floor here is like an 8-4 and four season, so – I I've also said Mike that I think that Miami is arguably the most volatile team in the entire conference right now is, and it's entirely dependent on quarterback play. I think depending on what you get from the quarterback and maybe even some of you know, how the secondary rebounds from some big losses is totally the difference again, between like eight and four and as, as much as like a 12 and oh type of season. So, um, very high ceiling. And I think the schedule again is forgiving enough that the, the floor is pretty high as well.
0: Hard to argue on my end.
2: Uh, but I,
0: you know, I don't even see four losses. I mean, they really have to fall apart in one game that I'm not expecting them to fall apart in in order for them to get to four losses, but overall. Would you put that past Miami? I would not, uh, mostly because of what you alluded to, the quarterback
1: position alone. <laughs> yeah, but let me jump they, in here. I'm going to put enough. it past Miami because, uh, and I hate to sound like that guy, but this is not Al Golden's Miami, and I know that last year you had that October stretch, and there were a lot of things that went into that. Um, You know, you had a little bit of injuries in there. You had some bad luck. Um, You had Mark Rick just rusty as a play caller um, in his first year back, you know, at the helm of an offense. So, you know, in the end of his time at Georgia, he was kind of the CEO where he just kind of oversaw things. But getting in the flow of things and making those adjustments, uh, even down to the bowl game, you saw it took almost till halftime. And then finally, I mean, because West Virginia was playing 12 yards off. And they were just like, okay, we're, we're going to just give you all this cushion. And there's no, you know, and he couldn't figure out what to do. And then finally, and I was screaming it from the stands, and I just said, throw the now screen, throw the, the stop route to Amon Richards and let him go. And they did, and then he scored. You know, and you just see some of those things. But, yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah, I, I just had to push back. I just don't, this is not Al Golden's Miami anymore. I don't see us dropping four game or them if I'm not using us, you know. But I don't see Miami dropping four games and i get yeah that's the floor but i mean even with serviceable quarterback play um and well you know it remains to be seen if you can have that because malik rogier likes to be a little cavalier with the football and uh if things break down and tries to make a superhero play and instead of you know playing for another day evan sheriff's um who was one of the most accurate high school quarterbacks I ever saw on tape? Apparently, his arm is now strong and his accuracy is now weak. So everything is just flipped around. And then Nikosi Perry is a true freshman, obviously. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I just, I don't know. I just reject that. I think that Mark Walton is going to win us a couple of games from the running back spot. I think that the front seven is going to stifle some teams and everything. So I mean, like the extreme outlier, eight and four, yeah. But I just, I don't see four losses on the schedule like Mike said
0: if if there's one thing we know and you mentioned Malik Rozier has a tendency to be cavalier about the football if there's one thing we know about the ACC you
1: definitely don't want to be cavalier with football
0: oh boy just ask Bronco Mendenhall am I right (laughs) yeah I think they
1: were the go ACC moment of the week for a bad reason a couple times last year so definitely not a good
0: yeah 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 they're the
2: team of the week every week (laughs)
1: I was gonna go team of the year. I think that's a
2: deserved honor.
1: Who didn't they lose to Richmond last year or something like that?
2: Not only
0: did they lose to Richmond, they got the doors blown off them by Richmond. Oh yeah, exactly.
1: They lost by like three touchdowns to Richmond. Oh. Yeah, so you know, obviously, yeah. uh, being cavalier with the football is a bad thing, and you know, Malik Rozier does do that sometimes. But yeah, I don't. I'd see in in on paper, I could see. Okay, you talk yourself into eight and four with four losses being the floor, but in practice, I would say no more than three. I mean, if it's if it gets to – yeah, even th- – yeah, I couldn't see more than three losses.
0: I agree. I mean, I think at worst they split with Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, and that leaves you having to really just beat Georgia Tech in order to avoid a four-loss season because I don't think – I mean, any of the other games on the schedule that they would theoretically lose outside of Florida State would be a massive, massive upset that none of us really see coming. Right. I mean, because – Okay, yeah. so just
2: – just so we're clear, I'm writing these predictions down. We're gonna revisit these at some point. Do all of us have Miami at ten and two? Uh, yeah. yeah, mm,
0: eh. yeah, ten and two. We can go with ten and two.
2: Ten and two. Mike, you're very wishy-washy about this. What are you thinking?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know yet. <laughs> ten and two. Ten and two is fine. I said anywhere between nine and three and eleven and one. Okay. Let's go with ten and two. It's in yeah. the middle.
2: Okay. Yeah, we'll split the difference. Okay. Everybody, ten and two, Miami. So when they go seven and five, we'll all look like fools. But.
1: Uh, Don't you put that occurs. on me, Ricky all Bobby. Right. <laughs> I rebuke that.
2: Uh, how, how? I could never, Cam. I could never put that on you. Uh-huh. All right. Cam Underwood, as always, you are nothing if not chock full of all sorts of good Miami information. Uh, please tell the fine people listening to the Basketball Conference podcast where they can find you.
1: You can find me all over the place. I have a personal Twitter, Underwood Sports, where I tweet about Miami stuff and then also HGTV shows. Uh, the site Twitter is the State of the U on Twitter. And then you can find the site at stateoftheu.com and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash State of the uh, where we have a lot of good stuff. And, you know, I think that, you know, we were starting to ramp up our content last year, obviously, because it's easier to write about a good team than a bad team. And, you know, I've had to kind of dig for content. Uh, across a couple bad seasons previously, but got a, a brand new crew of contributors and we're, we're already fired up uh, with the story stream leading up into the season. And then obviously through every week, we're going to have a bunch of good stuff for you. So all over the internet, state of the dot facebook.com slash state of the you And then on Twitter at the state of the U and at Underwood sports. Those are places you can find me and say, hi.
2: I, I know I say this every single time you come on here, but I, I legitimately mean this. like, if you're looking for Miami football or even just general Miami sports coverage, there's nobody better in this business than Cam Underwood. He is all over it. He is uh, always putting out all sorts of great content. I don't know how you do it. You're like a machine over there. You know all sorts of stuff. You do all sorts of stuff. Cam, you're the man. Uh, anybody that needs Miami coverage, go hook, go look him up.
0: I couldn't agree more.
1: <laughs> I, I try to read everything that I can, um, you know, and I just talk to people. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of one of those things. There's a friend of mine who – deactivated his Twitter account but he said that I have the quickest reflexes on the timeline where I can see something in a tweet and have an article up within two minutes and I know it's just a thing that I do because I love I love the hurricanes I love the U. and as I'm sitting here in my living room and I'm showing this to Mike and Joey on Skype this is my pocket diploma from the U right here. So, I, I mean, I bleed orange and green, and, you know, I, I love doing it. And, you know, it's it's cool reaching out and connecting with other hurricanes on the Internet doing those kind of things. So I, I really appreciate that from you guys, and, you know, hopefully the people actually listen. So, again, stateofthew.com, facebook.com slash stateofthew, on Twitter at Underwood Sports or at the State of the U. Come check it out. You're going to see something that you like, and you're going to stick around.
2: Cam, you're the man. Thank you for joining us. Always wonderful stuff, as always. And uh, please come back soon. You're welcome anytime.
1: I'm gonna take you up on that.
2: <laughs> I hope you do. Oh, all right, uh, Mike. We got to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, but before we do, just so the, the people know they can find us on Twitter. I'm at ftrsjoey. He is at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns, anything else to the longest email address known to man: Basketball Conference Podcast at gmail dot com. Nailed it. Um, you can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud. Where else can they find us, Mike?
0: On Facebook, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Find us, rate us, review the hell out of us, please. Review, review, review. Look at all our podcasts on there. We post
2: all of them there now. Got a Facebook page. We're going to use it. It's super helpful if you guys do that. Uh, we continue to bring on these guests to try to keep expanding reach, expanding, you know, getting more knowledge out of people. So I uh, appreciate you all listening. Uh, Mike, we got more teams in preview. You want to come back and do this again soon?
0: Absolutely, buddy.
2: All right, sounds good. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel and Mr. Cam Underwood, I'm Joey Weaver. Thanks, guys, for listening. And until then, go ACC.